Welcome to Top Talk, where we take critical conversations to the cross of Christ and examine world events through a biblical worldview. I'm your host, Trachelia Simon. Top Talk, where we take important conversations to the cross of Christ. I'm your host and contributor, Trachelia Simon. As we continue to deal with the impact of what's taking place in our society in regards to race relations and even COVID-19, the pandemic, um, we want to take some time to talk about something that all of us have probably experienced both directly and vicariously at some point in our lives, and that's trauma. Um, Today, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack historical and intergenerational trauma and talk about its impact. Um, We're also going to discuss what trauma looks like in children and adults. And finally, we'll talk about how we can build emotional strength and resilience in our families. I am here today with two brilliant social workers in our community, Jessica Grant, who is a licensed master social worker and Narkia Bird, who is a licensed behavioral therapist. Hello, ladies. Hello. Glad to be here and joining you in this discussion. It is great to have you both. We're going to go ahead and jump in and just get started with this. Um, Let's talk about historical and intergenerational trauma. What is it? And then what's the impact look like today? Um, So with... um, As we talk about historical and intergenerational trauma, it's important that, you know, people understand exactly what trauma is by itself. And so, you know, I always like to have, you know, uh, Webster's definition of, you know, any word so that I can know the true meaning behind it. So trauma is defined as an event, a series of events or a set of circumstances that is experienced by individuals. And it is harmful to them and it's threatening to them. Um, and it affects that person's well-being. So when we talk about historical or intergenerational trauma, to me, um, we're talking about, you know, what has um, happened to um, really minorities um, as a whole um, historically. So a lot of times I like to give examples for people to understand what we're talking about. And that's like, you know, the enslavement of people of African descent, like the Holocaust and um, Trail of Tears for those that are um, Native American. So those are harmful, emotional, um, um, harming to people and individuals and and their generations after that. So that's like that historical um, trauma that has happened, but also with intergenerational, like if that happened to your grandparent or your parent, or your great grandparent, then you can experience, you feel that trauma as well um, through stories and things like that. So it's really, you know, historical um, trauma is that the symptom of that is the intergenerational trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, uh, Jessica, for giving that background, because that is a really important point that we do need to know what trauma is. And once we know that, then we can sort of understand some of those other things that you talked about with intergenerational trauma, sometimes called generational trauma or multi-generational trauma. Um, but yes, it, it can be taught and also just the behaviors. So a lot of time 
even if, you know, things aren't necessarily spoken and that's passed down from generation to generation through teaching, some of the behaviors that come as a result of that traumatic experience are passed down. And so people think and people respond the same way as previously because they have seen that and they've modeled that. Um, and we see that a lot um, in our society today. Um, just the hurt and the pain that, that people have experienced from seeing mistreatment and injustice mm -hmm. and um, you know, all of these difficulties that we're experiencing. And it takes you back to what your parents experienced or your grandparents, even if you weren't there. You know, you can feel that and you can grasp that because it's a part of your family line. It is, it, it does become personal to you. And you start experiencing the same effects that trauma has regardless of whether you yourself ha has, have been personally um, impacted. Mm -hmm. um, when we were talking about, you know, some questions and some things we wanted to talk about that would be really pertinent to this discussion, Jessica, you mentioned something. Um, you talked about racism and equality as a sickness. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Right. So when you learn about historical trauma and intergenerational trauma, like there's things that manifest from the from that trauma, you know, um, and a lot of things that if you're if you're looking at the African-American race or, um, you know, and we're thinking about what kind of um, effects has that trauma had on us, you know, a lot of those are um things that we can relate to today, like mental health diagnosis, you know, with, um, and, you know, anxiety and depression and especially anxiety, like around what's going on and, you know, feeling that overwhelming feeling, you know, um, depression, the sadness that comes from, um, seeing things like this in the news that are affecting us personally, mm -hmm. um, can, can, you know, be given, be, um, manifested in us. And we're not sure, you know, how we, navigate those feelings. Um, and then also just from the oppression and um, the racism that um, has our socioeconomic status, you know, affects that socioeconomic status where, you know, a lot of people are in poverty or, you know, they're, you know, they have that mentality where, you know, it's pressed on you, you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But, you know, that's not always the case. You know, you have to, there's so many different ways that, um, you know, your life and your environment and your family structure can prevent that from, you know, being something that you can, you know, rely on. You have mm -hmm. to, there's a lot more that goes into that, you know, in your whole family structure. And then even, um, with now with, you know, rioting and looting and stuff like that, you know, some people may not be part of, you know, the actual movement of making things better, but a lot of people have that mentality where, you know, there's no trust of authority. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's like, you know, even if this change or that change, you know, if somebody is, you know, held accountable for their actions, they feel like it's not enough. It's not, or it's not going to stick, or it's not going to be permanent or make an effect on them or their children. So therefore, the, you know, that it still goes on. It's still mm -hmm. an underlying issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think when you were talking about the, you know, sickness, I think I also thought about just stress and the impact of stress and how that physiologically impacts our body. You know, there's a correlation between mental health issues, 
um, or emotional issues and high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, things of that nature. So you can, you physically, your body physically starts to change as a result of trauma and stress. Um, and that's the case in both children and adults. Um, over time, you know, in um, children, you know, children who experience traumatic events, um, we call those adverse childhood experiences. Um, and, you know, the fortunate thing is, you know, some of those things can be mitigated when you have more resiliency factors in your life. You know, when you have a good support system, when you have, um, maybe you received therapy and you got some of those things, but in situations where you don't, you sometimes are more prone to a lot of health issues as you get older, um, especially when you don't have good coping skills. And so you could physically see changes in your body in regards to stress and trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And there are studies out there that, that have been done, um, research studies that have been completed that show that it is it, how much it negatively impacts mm -hmm. your health mm -hmm. to be a minority. You know, all of the things that come with that status of being a minority and all of the, the, um, the results of that and the symptoms mm -hmm. of what, what the experience has been um, is unhealthy <laughs> physically. And they talk about the disparities in healthcare and, um, you know, the cost to healthcare and, you know, how our bodies are impacted because yes, like you said, there's all of those things, there's stress, there's exhaustion, you know, there's fatigue. Jessica talked about the fear, the anxiety, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, even as we talked about generational trauma, um, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but I saw this video on social media where this kid looks like no more than 10 years old or so is playing basketball just in front of his own house. And he hides when he sees a police car coming by. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sure that he's probably never had a, an actual experience with a police officer, but he has um, a response of fear and anxiety when he sees that car drive by. So he hides and he's not even doing anything wrong, you know? And so that's the impact of that generational trauma because I have seen what has happened to this person and that person. I've, I've heard tale of what's happened to my family member and my, you know, my uncle and my grandfather. And I don't want it to happen to me. So right. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm a high, right. you know, and that's exhausting. Yeah, it is very exhausting. I agree with you. Um, we, and we've covered this a little bit, but what does trauma look like? What does that look like in a person? Um, let's, let's talk about what that looks like in, in adults. Yeah, it, it looks like some of the symptoms that we can see with trauma, Jessica mentioned a lot of them, um, depression, you know, fear, anxiety, um, uh, exhaustion, stress, physical issues. You talked about that as well, the physical issues and physical health issues um, that are related to being stressed and, um, and anxious. Mm -hmm. um, it looks like social anxiety. It looks like isolation sometimes. You know, let me just keep to myself, it's safer that way. You know, so there are so many ways that this can, can produce um, responses mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, a trauma response. And for some people, it looks like anger. For some people, it looks like drug addiction and alcohol right. addiction. Right. I mean, we see this broad range of symptoms that come from traumatic experiences. And a lot of people sometimes sometimes don't know even what that is. They didn't right. even know they were a victim of any type of trauma because they might say it didn't happen to you um, or to me, but we've witnessed things that are traumatic, you know, and it's hard on our psyche to really process that and figure out, okay, what do I do with this information and how do I stay safe? How do I stay clear of it? You know, how do I rest? How do I, you know, think past it and process through it? How do I keep living knowing this information that I know or having this information that I have? Right. And um, just thinking about what you were saying is that a lot of um, there has been a lot of studies and people that, you know, different countries that incorporated mental health professionals and um, social workers and, and, thing, and people like that into their like um, for specifically for children, like pediatric care, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, a child may go to the you know, doctor numerous times, like they're always getting stomach aches or, you know, they, they always have some type of issue and the parent cannot pinpoint what that is, you know, and a lot of times it can be something stemming from some type of trauma and that they are feeling, fear, um, feeling these actual physical, um, issues from that. And, and that needs to be something that, you know, we incorporate, we look for as a parent as well, you know, mm-hmm. when our kids have constant, um, things going on with them and there's not like something that you can physically, you know, you can look at and say, yes, this is what it is, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, so we have to um, bring, think, bring that into context when we're thinking about, you know, how, um, you know, different adults and children can react to um, something like trauma and like we were talking about with the physical thing, physical parts of it, it's easier for people to understand when they have some, when they can figure out how it connects and they can feel it or see it or diagnose it, something like that. And so, you know, we previously talked about recent racism and inequality as a sickness. And so we have to treat it as a sickness, like we do with, you know, with cancer or with a virus or all this kind of stuff, we have to combat it. And one of the things I saw on, um, a lot on Facebook and things like that, you know, one of the things that is combating the sickness is anti-racism, not just, you know, saying that, you know, we care about this, you know, we, we're with you on this, we're all together, but actually, you know, putting forth the effort to Mm -hmm. combat and be anti, you know, about the whole situation. And, um, you know, that comes along with a lot of different things that you can do um, to be able to do that. Um, when you were talking, you know, talking about children, I thought just about my own child this morning and wasn't necessarily a traumatic issue, but um, I heard him say, well, mommy, I don't have a stomach ache anymore when I play that game. I would get stomach aches. And I said, well, what do you mean? Um, he was like, well, I didn't win. And so, you know, for him, he wants he wants something to be perfect. He wants it to be a certain way. And what was happening was he was developing anxiety around not winning and not um, having the outcome that he wanted. And so I had to be really intentional about just having that conversation about a growth mindset. So whenever you make a mistake or you don't win, what does that say about you? Um, 
in who you are. You're still awesome. You're still great. You just haven't gotten as good at it as you want to. And we keep trying. Um, and so just having, having him connect thoughts to our feelings and how sometimes the way we think about a thing can control the way we feel and then how we act in turn. And so it's, it's like you said, it's so important to pay attention to those symptoms and those signs in our kids and even adults, you know, even sometimes adults have become so good at, you know, um, hiding things, but then other symptoms pop up and, and, and you, you all being mental health professionals, I'm sure you spot them a lot easier. Um, when people are having those, you know, somatic issues that really speak to trauma or emotional issues that are going on. And I know in children, you know, one of the things that I say often is that children are not little adults. Um, mm -hmm. They're not, their brains are not fully developed. Their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed. And so, you know, one of the biggest hurdles I think with trauma is that um, it really can alter the way a child sees themselves. You know, when you're young and you're little, you get your cues from the grownups. Um, when you, before you were able to talk, when you touch something you weren't supposed to, your parents would shake their finger at you until you know. That let you know, okay, that I'm getting feedback that that's something that I should not do. And so in situations where there might be um, even secondary trauma or um, where your parents maybe maybe one of them was abused as a child. And so what they got all the time was yelling and screaming and that was what was communicated to them. And so as they parent, those things come out in their parenting. And so, you know, yelling, screaming, other things that are happening, it sends messages to kids. And sometimes those messages turn into negative thought patterns, okay? Mm -hmm. it, it, it starts to affect their cognition. And so they associate that negative thought pattern with who they are as a person. And so it gives them a message. I'm bad or I'm not good enough. And so that becomes like a, a permanent, I was reading an article that talked about it almost being like a permanent sensory memory for a kid that you can't undo. It's as hard to undo as it is. It's hard to um, unlearn how to ride a bike. And I was like, wow, that is really, that's really powerful. And so as that becomes a part of who you are and your psyche and your cognition, um, you associate those negative thoughts with who you are. And so you don't, you want to kind of hide those feelings and you don't want to feel what that feels like. And so that's when you start to see the manifestation of behavior issues and things like that. Those are the things that we see in school. When I have kids who've dealt with trauma, you see misbehavior, but that misbehavior is the top of the iceberg. It's the tip. All that stuff that's going on underneath the water that you can't see the surface is a result of this negative thinking that they've developed around things that have happened to them. And they're trying to, they don't know what to do with that. So you see anxiety, you even see signs of depression in kids, um, the misbehavior, the acting out. We know we've probably heard tons of statistics about the rate um, at which our young black boys specifically get suspended from school um, at a higher rate than other kids. And a lot of times some of that underlying issue is trauma that they've dealt with um, in the home. And so it just, it has a major impact across the age span. Mm -hmm. So let's move on a little bit and talk about um, what does secondary and vicarious trauma look like for people? I know even in education, you know, when you're dealing with a student in your classroom who may have um, major behavior issues and you have just gotten to the point where you are fatigued and exhausted, um, there are times where, you know, you deal with that vicarious trauma. So what does vicarious trauma, secondary trauma look like 
um, for people. So I'll start off um, just talking about vicarious trauma because it's not really a word that a lot of people hear about and connect with. And I think it's important to understand um, because it's for those of us that, that are helping. So this, this, this is speaking to professionals or not, but that are in a position of, of a help role for people. Um, and we start to feel the impacts and the fatigue associated with working with people that have been exposed to trauma. And so, like you mentioned, um, a good example with working with kids that may have some behavioral issues because they're dealing with trauma. And then we, at the end of the day, we take it with us. We're exhausted. We're trying to find strategies. We're thinking about it a lot. And we don't really take the time back to think about, okay, what are our needs at that time? Because it's a lot. It's a lot. And you want to you help and you want to impact those around you. Um, but at the same time, it's really important to take a look back and see how it's affecting you. And a lot of times, if you don't know that that component is there, you won't really pay attention to it or you won't look for it and, and understand, okay, I, maybe I need to step back from this. Maybe I need a signal for somebody else to help me. Um, you know, maybe I need to look at some other strategies or think of some other suggestions. Um, am I overextending in this area? You know, should I pull back? So those are really questions to ask because it can affect your own, your own personal life and your own personal family. So am I taking anger and stress, not really stress out on or exhaustion out on my own children mm -hmm. um, or my own family because um, I, am, I am feeling exhausted from this situation. Um, and so even when it's really important to know that even when something may not have directly impacted us and we're in a role that we are hearing people speaking constantly to us about those things and how, you know, how they're struggling with those things and we want to help and then there might be another person there constantly feeding that information you know, it's, it, it's hard to disconnect from that. So that's what that vicarious trauma is. And we start to experience a lot of what that other person is experiencing, even in a helping role. Right. And while you were talking, I just always think about for myself and for like clients that I have, like, is this affecting your, like what you were saying, activities of daily living? You know, there's like a whole checklist for that that you can kind of go down. But, you know, if your sleep is being affected, if your work is being affected, you know, and your parenting, things like that are being affected, then you have to really, you know, be mindful of what's going on with yourself um, in order to not um, continue to kind of spiral down with that, um, with the effects of that trauma. So that's important for adults, because as we navigate each day, you know, we can take time to really evaluate what's going on. So if, you know, if I'm go for a week and not sleeping good, you know, what's going on with that? You know, we have to continue kind of evaluating ourselves on, you know, how that trauma is really affecting us. Um, and then also um, when you're engaging, like with our profession, with other people that also are experiencing trauma, you know, we have to, um, you know, not, you know, put our feelings on to them. You know, we have to be impartial when we're talking and, you know, um, 
just be mindful of what's going on in our personal lives that could come out when we're speaking, you know, mm-hmm. um, and be mindful of your words and, and actions and, you know, even facial expressions, you know, um, because um, with a, what, what all this has been going on, um, I've noticed like if somebody want to talk to me about what's going on and I don't feel like, you know, like I done had enough for the day or something like that. You know, I've been on social media too much or, you know, um, I read the comments, you know, those types of things that um, didn't agree with me. And so I'm already kind of over it. And then someone asked me about it. Like, I know that my facial expressions will probably give me away real quick. So, you know, I have to be very mindful of that. And, um, and I think that's important for everybody just to kind of, you know, I like to journal. So that's one of the things that helps me figure out, you know, is something going on that, you know, that I need to address because if, if I'm not feeling it, then there's probably something going on. Or if I am, what is the theme going on here? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that kind of can, you know, help you as a, as an adult, you know, with children, I mean, I really think it's important for parents, you know, of course, to pay attention to what's going on. Um, but children to know that, you know, they can have trauma, you know, a lot of times, um, adults and, you know, people, um, who are older, they're like, oh, you know, they're resilient, you know, they can bounce back from this. Um, you know, I've heard that and that's not always the case, you know, everybody's different. It's, it's, you know, something that's case by case basis, you know, you have to, um, you know, take that person, that child as they are, and um, really understand, you know, how it may affect them differently than your other children. Because if you have more than one, you know, you know, you know that they all are not the same, you know, they all have different personalities, they always, they respond differently, you know, you have one that always cries, and one that, you know, doesn't care what happens, (laughs) they're just going to be standing firm and hard-headed, you know, things like that, Um, and so you have to really take that into account when things are going on, that they might not necessarily say something, but there could be those feelings behind, you know, um, you know, that sternness, if they have it, you know, um, that's not always apparent. Thank you guys for sharing that. Um, I think when you were talking about, you started talking, and I think you guys have covered it as you talked about what it is that, you know, helping professionals need to do um, when they are noticing that they're dealing with that trauma. And I heard you mention journaling and things like that. Um, Self-care is so important when you are a helping professional, um, taking that time to do things that, um, are meaningful to you and that are helpful to you in terms of coping, um, journaling, exercising. And we'll talk about some more of that later when we just talk about, you know, strength building and resiliency and and coping later. But I think it's, you know, just, um, you know, just want to mention here that for all helping professionals, like it's really important self-care. I know during the time where um, school was still in session and we had to, go into quarantine and so schools and things like that were closed and everyone was having to shuffle and switch gears and in the midst of still themselves being impacted by COVID-19 having to figure out how we're going to meet the needs of of students um, at home distance learning and all of that good stuff I you know I participated in a couple of Zoom sessions um, with some other school counselors across the state and so you know some of them were just talking about how they were facilitating self-care sessions for teachers because, you know, on top of, like I said, the, the way that stress and the impact um, of COVID was for them, they also had the added pressure and the added stress of 
teaching in a way they never had before. And um, even self-care for, you know, other people, other mental health professionals who were working with people doing, um, you know, distance um, or telecommunication in terms of counseling and therapy and things like that. Everything was just very different. And so that was something that was also a focus during that time. Mm -hmm. So we want to switch gears a little bit and we want to talk about um, our kids because, um, you know, we live in a time where, um, there's a lot going on in our climate in regards to race relations um, and lots of things that have happened that have been very tragic. And so sometimes some of our kids are uh, well aware of what's going on. And so, you know, what, what would be some age appropriate conversations? What is an age appropriate way to talk to your children about race relations and what's going on in our society? Um, and the first thing I would say is one, know your child. Um, you know, you know, my son in particular is super sensitive. And so um, at his age, he's only six. And so there are a lot of things that I, I wouldn't discuss with him at this point. And some kids who might be older might also be sensitive and might not be able to handle certain things. So that's one thing to consider is to know, know your child. And another thing um, is that um, our older kids, some of them are on social media. Some of them see things and, and may come to us with things um, and with questions. And so we have to prepare ourselves to answer questions and deal with reactions and walk them through things. One of the things that I read a couple of days ago, which I thought was really helpful with talking to your younger kids um, is kids really understand the concept of fairness. Um, you gave her this much and I got that much, that's not fair. Or you told me I could do this, but then you changed your mind. That's not fair. They understand fairness. And so one of the examples that I saw that I thought was really good was, you know, what if you were on the playground and um, someone stepped on your toe today and you went to tell the teacher and the next day it didn't stop. And you told the teacher again and you kept telling the teacher, but nothing ever changed. And you were still hurt and nothing happened to you. How would you feel? And a, a child might say, that's not fair, that's not okay. And so in talking to kids about what's going on in terms of race relations, talking to them in terms of fairness, how, well, these things are happening and we feel like these things aren't fair um, to anybody when it happens. And so that is why you might see mommy or daddy frustrated or angry or talking to grownups a lot about what's happening because there's some unfair things happening to people. Mm -hmm. um, that is a way to have that discussion with younger kids. Our older kids at this point probably have been exposed or have had conversations about race relations with their friends, with other people. They've heard about it somewhat in social studies and in history. And so I would just even talk to them about what questions do you have? You know, what are you, what are you hearing? What are you, what kind of conversations are you and your friends having or talking about? And just be prepared for questions, be prepared for whatever reactions you might get because they're kids and this is difficult for them to process as well. Um, another thing that's really important is this is a good time when you're having that conversation with your children, um, this is a good time to do a self-check. Talking to your kids about whether they've had experiences where they felt mistreated or um, whether they've mistreated someone and not just because of them being a different skin color, but because of having a disability or learning at a different rate or whatever the difference may be, have there been experiences where they themselves 
have had that issue with someone or whether they themselves have done that to someone else so that we can talk to them about fair treatment and how we treat others and how we show kindness. And especially as believers, we want to talk to our kids about, you know, um, you know, how we treat others and, and what it does to someone, how that impacts someone when they are untreated, when they're treated unfairly. Would you guys like to add anything to that in particular? Yeah, I think all of those things are really good um, in, in starting those conversations and having those conversations. Um, one thing that I do with my children is talk to them also about being an example. So you know these things and you know that this, this is the way that you want to be treated. When you have those conversations, you're saying, how would you like to be treated? Then you always want to, to, to bring your child into understanding that they should be the example of these things. Um, and, and, and also having a discussion to them with them even in the midst of these discussions about their own personal value. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important. It's always been really important for kids to hear the great things that they're doing and how well they're doing things. And I think it's a perfect time to emphasize their value, you, their features, their beauty, you know, their, their giftedness and all of the various things that they're able to do mm -hmm. um, that we pour that into them constantly because they might not receive that elsewhere or that might be challenged in some other area for them. And so it, it's really important for them to gain comfort around their self-esteem and their self-worth um, and really being um, built up in that way. Absolutely. Right. And um, just thinking about, you know, my profession and how a lot of the times I'm working with parents um, who, of course, have kids and, you know, they're working through their own issues and they're trying to figure out how to how to, um, um, you know, navigate life. And so the, you know, the parenting function and the family function is not um, as it should be. So a lot of times with them, you know, I'm wanting to, you know, figure out a way that they can um, speak to their children, even if they don't know, you know, how to put it into words, what's going on, because they can't even do it, you know, hardly for themselves. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, um, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, you know, getting a book that, um, you know, has a moral, moral of the story books, you know, we always used to read those when kids, you know, to talk about what's fair and to, you know, talk about how, you know, who, who is, you know, who is right and wrong in the situation, learn the difference of right and wrong. And so I still think, I mean, there's, there's a ton of books and a lot of them have been shared, you know, online right now, a lot of them are being shared and getting, you know, sold out everywhere where people are able to buy these books and read them and then have a conversation about them. You know, um, even some with actual questions at the end mm -hmm. so that you can engage your child after you've read that. Um, and even, and I think now just with my kids at their school when they're doing the reading and they're talking about um, comprehension, so they have the comprehension questions, mm -hmm. you know, that comes along with their reading. And those can easily be adapted um, to the stories that are, you know, letting people know, letting kids know, you know, about racism and um, things that they could encounter or that people like them will encounter and how they might handle that situation. So it's really important to, um, you know, uh, educate yourself as a parent, you know, research what you can find 
on um, those different topics so that you'll know what is appropriate for that age. And a lot of, of course, books, you know, they go by age. You know, you can look at the, the level if you want your child to actually read it, you know, look at the level of reading it is so that you can pick something that is, um, you know, something that will appeal to your child and be able to um, get through that and have their understanding of it. So I think that is a really good tool to use for especially the small children. Absolutely. They not know, you know, what's going on. Um, when, I, when I've always worked as a professional, I always like working with teens because I feel like I can have like a real conversation with them. I don't really have to sugarcoat anything, you know, and I feel like they, you know, are able to open up to me and talk, you know, give me that conversation that I'm looking for. And so I think it's, you know, teens sometimes fall through the cracks a lot of times at that age because they're they're like the isolation. You know, they don't want to be with the family. They don't want to engage with nobody. You know, they're in their rooms, they're on the phones, they're on social media, things like that. And so it's very important to kind of pull them out of that and be like, you know, this is our time to have a conversation or just open up the door, you know, to have a conversation because that's important to knowing that, you know, maybe they don't want to talk about it now, but if it does happen, then they know that they have that person they can come to. Um, and, and I always like to say, it doesn't have to necessarily be the parent, especially with teens. Right. You know, it can be anybody that is an adult that you feel that would give them, you know, some information that is correct and, you know, from with love and things like that. So just having that, you know, one person, you know, you could, if you know they don't want to talk to you about it or they told you, you know, identify that, help them identify that one person that they can go to you know, so that you can feel good, you know, you can feel like, you know, there's going to be an outlet for them, whether it's me or not. So I think that's, you know, really important for teens as well. Um, and also along with books, um, movies, there mm -hmm. has been a lot of uptake in that with different movies that really show, you know, racial injustice and, you know, true stories of events of people that have been, you know, um, um, affected by racism and inequality and um, I think there's been a lot of people that's really opened up to, you know, um, oh, I can watch this and, you know, get some real education. You know, you always have to be weary of Hollywood movies because they don't always, you know, tell all the story, you know, because they have to get it within a certain time or things like that. But, um, you know, you have to research to see if it's a good one mm -hmm. um, to watch with the family. A lot of those movies are rated PG-13. So, I mean, I think it would, um, that is a def definitely an avenue you can go if you don't know how to sit down and have that specific conversation. I agree. I think those are all great ideas that you both shared. Um, I know several weeks ago, um, not long after um, George Floyd was killed, we had an opportunity to sit down with the youth um, at Tabernacle of Praise and just um, do a Zoom conference, not with any particular agenda, but just to listen to them, just to let them talk and say what was on their minds to give them a safe place to share. Um, and they spoke up, you know, they shared and they talked and talked about their frustrations and, you know, asked questions and things of that nature. And so I think it's so important just to, you know, be, be able to be a listening ear and a sounding board for them, like you talked about, um, for sure. So thank you both for, for what you shared. Um, we talked a lot about trauma, different types of trauma, how it impacts people, what it looks like. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what do we do when it comes to really building um, emotional strength and resilience? What does that look like? 
um, and adults and children? How can we build that? Um, I always think, you know, resilience is, I feel like um, just based on, you know, my area of what I, what I work in and things like that, like, you know, there's certain people that, you know, no matter what life throws at them, you know, they're always being optimistic about the situation. You know, they're trying to find the positive. Um, I'm speaking about myself and others um, that, you know, just want to, you know, always just look on the right side of things, you know, come up with another um, alternative, you know, when they always be like, well, I want to do, do this, you know, don't say I want to do this, say I will do this, you know, speaking it into existence. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times, you know, if, if you're that type of person, you know, resiliency and most emotional strength is, you know, comes naturally almost, you know, to some people and to others, it doesn't. You know, it's something that you kind of have to work towards. You know, you you're not going to be able to let everything, you know, in, you know, it's not everything's not good for you. You know, just like us, you know, a lot of people, kids and, you know, even adults now, we're always on social media and everything that we see is not good for us. It's not helping with our emotional strength It's not helping with our resilience. But you have to so you have to be mindful of that, you know. Mm -hmm when we talk about building that, you know, we, it's something that you have to work on internally. You know, you have to um, work on yourself in order to be able to, um, you know, kind of put that energy out so other people can feel like, you know, they can do it. Um, I just think of a scenario like when um, you're working on a, you know, um, a path to recovery from alcohol or drug addiction or something like that. And, you know, you, they have this motivation you know, you go into groups and things like that because they hear those positive stories, those, those resiliency um, stories from people that have overcome that, who has found the emotional strength to not, you know, engage in that anymore. So I really think, you know, um, one of the major things that could build that is a support system. You know, um, I feel like, you know, if a lot of people who have a support system in place, you know, does, you know, a lot better, with um, maintaining, you know, good, healthy relationships and things like that and getting through difficult times, you know. Um, So you can look at a support system in different ways, you know. It used to be, it's always about family, you know, your family support system, but that is not always the case because, you know, people move around, you know, people might not have family that have those qualities. And so you, you look for family, you look for church, you know, you look for you know, um, support groups, all of those different things that can help you, um, you know, can pour into you and build that emotional strength and resilience um, that you need. And then, of course, there's a lot of different ways you can engage in um, things that build emotional strength and resilience, you know, therapy, of course, you know, um, working through any issues, you know, um, and with the social media, you know, setting boundaries on that. You don't, you don't want to, spend three hours on this, you know, when you know it's not any good for you, you know, those types of things. And so, you know, for me, um, through all this teleworking, um, I thought it was going to be great (laughs) because I didn't actually have to go into work, but it turned into like a whole nother beast, you know, of, you know, homeschooling and, um, you know, and still working, um, and people having, you know, we're, in the helping field, so more people needing help due to COVID, then more people needing help doing 
um, due to the um, racism and the inequality that has been, you know, blatantly put out there in front of us. And so, so I'm like, you know, oh, well, I don't know what I'm going to do, do, do when we have to keep doing this over and over again. So that for me, I have to, I've been, you know, exercising daily, you know, to kind of blow off some steam, you know, to forget about whatever's going on. And um, they used to always tell us as a social worker, don't take your home, your work home with you. But what happens when your work is at home? <laughs> right. <laughs> that, you know, that, that, that has been like, running through my mind, like over and over, I'm like, okay, this is not good. Um, so definitely one of the things, like I said, setting boundaries, you know, not working all day and doing the same thing over and over, like that's emotional strength because you have to be able to compartmentalize certain things so that you can be a productive person, you know? Absolutely. Yes, definitely. All of those are some really good points about building um, emotional strength. And I want to circle back really quickly to something that we talked about a little bit earlier, because I don't know um, if we fully, when we were talking about trauma, we were talking about vicarious trauma, I don't know if we fully sort of share what that secondary trauma looks like for people. But when we bring it to the current events and we bring it to these deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and all of the others that have have died and been murdered actually. And we witnessed, we have witnessed those things <laughs> because we've seen them. At now it's all in the forefront because there are videos and there are um, pictures. And so we're experiencing that trauma, even though I wasn't, shot or I wasn't killed, I saw that happen to somebody that I relate to. And so as an individual, we're, we have, we are experiencing that, that secondary trauma. And when it comes to building um, resilience, it's good to know um, the truth. I, I think it's really important to know what the truth is. And we talked a little bit earlier about the sickness um, and, and some of the behaviors that you see with kids and you know even adults sometimes as it relates to trauma. Um, but you see a lot of times when you have people like Dylan Ruth who killed um, the nine uh, members, church members in Charleston mm -hmm. and you apply mental illness to that person, there is no mental illness for racism. Um, and so, I think it's important to note that truth because it, first of all, it's an insult. And secondly, for people that are struggling mental, mentally or cognitively with their mental um, wellness and people that are stressed and people that are exhausted, they're not going to connect to the need that comes to build that resilience if they feel like mentally ill people do stuff like that. Right. Um, so I think it's really important to kind of touch on that because no, racism is not, when you look at the, you can look at the sickness behind it and you can look at the, the vile and perverted thoughts and it's really more to, it speaks really more to what Trakiria talked about earlier and those, um, how, you know, we will, we will use the term wired, but those neurotransmitters mm -hmm. and those things, the way you make connections early on in life and, mm -hmm. and those things that people have passed on and so, you know, later in life, it says they, you know, the response is, oh, well, people had a bad um, childhood, you know, and that's, that's not a, a, a mental illness to be racially driven. 
And so when it comes to, to resilience um, and building emotional support, I think it's important to know the truth and what that looks like, what it means, what, what does that mean that I have experienced this trauma and how can I get through that? Right. Um, and, and understanding what that really is. You mm -hmm. know, it's okay to say, you know, I'm not doing well with this. You know, so that acknowledgement, I think is a really important part of that. And, you know, as black people, we have not traditionally um, acknowledged that, <laughs> that we are not doing well because we are a people of resilience. It's in our nature and in our culture mm -hmm. to be resilient because we have faced so many different struggles. Um, so I definitely would say to really have an understanding and acknowledge when something is not right, it doesn't feel right there, you know, there's something there, I'm overly stressed, or I'm overly impacted um, by this. Um, it's, it's affecting my daily life, right. and really knowing that so that you can apply a lot of the strategies that, that um, Jessica talked about having that support system and having somebody that you trust to reach out to. And also one thing that I really talk to people about a lot of times is celebrating the wins. Mm -hmm. um, it's really important to look and, you know, Jessica talked about being positive and being optimistic, but it's really important not, you know, to, to also celebrate those tangible things that have happened um, when we have experienced um, that trauma so that we can build ourselves up. Because yes, it's not the end goal, <laughs> but it's something. And so you can see these little, you can have these little victories all the way until you get to that end result. And I think that's really important in building resilience because then you see some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and what we are accustomed to seeing and saying is, oh, you know, it's been like that. It's never right. going to change. That's you know, but when we can celebrate those little um, things that have come along throughout time, um, I think that that helps us to build that emotional support, like, you know, and, and being, you know, having an understanding of this is going somewhere, you know, I, I can, I can do this really. And then also, you know, just as a believer, it's, it's, it's extremely important to have a, you know, a prayer life, you know, to have some time that you are connecting with the Lord and, and talking to him and seeking guidance from him on how, how to do things and how to manage things and asking for strength and believing that he's here and he's with us and he's desiring and willing to strengthen us through, through this time because Absolutely. it can be really hard, you mm -hmm. know, and we don't want to neglect, mm -hmm. um, we don't want to neglect our relationship with God, of course, but we don't want to neglect the, the guidance and support that we have by focusing so much attention. Um, Jessica also talked about, you know, limiting social media and that kind of thing. I have an app on my phone and, you know, that counts my time on Facebook. And after that, it says you have reached your Facebook limit for the day and I can't, you know, I can't access it. And that's important for me to have that trigger to say, okay, now stop, <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah, thank you um, both for sharing that. Those are really um, a lot of great points and a lot of powerful things, especially when you circled back to um, racial um, prejudice, um, racism not being a mental illness and needing to speak truth mm -hmm. um, about those things. As you were talking, um, I thought about, you know, what that looks like when it comes to um, traumatic experiences and emotional resiliency as believers, you know, sometimes as believers, um, you know, we think that it's, it's, it's 
we have a hard time being with with things being not okay. You know, we sometimes over spiritualize things and not acknowledge that sometimes we're just not okay. Um, and it is it's okay sometimes to acknowledge that and to say, you know what, I'm not good. Mm-hmm. You know, I prayed today and um, later to later in the evening, I found myself self still feeling in despair. Um, you know, I thought about this yesterday, just in terms of the word of God. And we've throughout the word of God are individuals and groups of people who dealt with pain and suffering. Um, the, the, the people of Israel, you know, they were enslaved for hundreds of years, pain and suffering, trauma, mm-hmm. Job, um, pain and suffering, trauma there. And, you know, our redeemer, Jesus himself, pain and suffering, being rejected by your own family, um, being betrayed, um, dying a cruel death on the cross, um, having loved ones look on as, as you, as, as he died for us, there's pain and suffering there and there's trauma. And so God is, he's aware of our frame and who, who we are. He's aware of our weaknesses. And the fact of the matter is that we live in a fallen world. Things are going to impact us as believers, as people of God. And our prayer lives are so important. Um, having, our fellowship of believers that surround us so important and knowing that it's okay not to be okay. Um, and that God is next to the broken heart and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's what our word tells us. And I believe that a way that he does that is by the profession, um, the mental health profession, mm-hmm. um, having mental health professionals such as yourselves, um, to be able to go and talk to someone who has an, uh, who doesn't know you and has um, an, a more objective point of view who can help you work through those things, I think that's really important. Um, another thing that I think is really important for building emotional strength, especially for people who themselves have endured um, injustices, um, things that have blatantly happened to them, racism, things that have blatantly happened to them, things that have um, happened that have impacted their self, their self-esteem in a way that you may see yourself. Um, one of the things that I often do with my students when it comes to, you know, some of them who have self-esteem issues or um, issues with um, just negative thought patterns is knowing that we can we can interrupt those negative thought patterns um, and really, you know, thinking about what it is that's happened to you, that thing that's happened. What is the thought? that you started developing? What's the narrative around that particular event that you've started to develop? And a lot of times that narrative, that negative narrative are lies. Those things are lies that we are are telling ourselves. Um, And so even doing something as simple as writing down those things that that combat those lies. What what are the, what's the truth that combats those lies? I'm more than a conqueror. I am fearfully and wonderfully made by God. whatever it is, I'm good at this. You know, for my kids, sometimes we, we write affirmations, things that they're good at. Um, posting those things on your mirror or someplace where you can see them, especially if you're a visual person, I'm a visual person. And so being able to see those things and saying those things out loud, even if you have to do that multiple times a day to as sort of like a, a cognitive behavioral technique to build that self-esteem and, and sometimes what we, you know, might refer to in the body of Christ as God esteem, really getting back to how God sees you and who he said, um, what he said about you in his word, 
about who you are and how you're made. Um, those kind of things combat some of those negative thinking patterns that we've developed that have become a part of our narratives and kind of like a record that we have playing in our heads over and over. And I think that's really important. And I think in regards to children, um, I saw a quote the other day by um, a professor. He's a um, Southern Seminary professor who's written a really good book. And we're going to actually, there are going to be some resources and some links um, attached to this video that you'll be able to check out some, some articles and things um, that can be very helpful. And I've, um, there's a, a link to this book that he's written about um, for kids about the gospel in color. But he said something that I thought was really cool. And what he said was that, you know, as believers, we must equip our kids to understand the society they live in so they can wisely navigate it with the gospel lens. And his name is Jarvis Johnson. And so I thought about um, a friend of mine. I heard her mention this um, maybe about a year ago, and I never heard it this way, but she talked about um, a legacy of faith. And so when building our kids up and building their emotional strength and even their, their strength in the body of Christ as believers, um, we want to make sure that we are modeling and instilling um, a love for God in our children and a love for his people. Because the fact of the matter is that, you know, we've seen a lot of hatred, unfortunately. And so as believers, we want to make sure that we're having those 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 conversations with them and also building building their emotional strength, teaching them about what God says about them in terms of their identity. Who are you? Who are you and who does God say that you are? Um, you know, and those kind of things, in addition to them um, seeing us live out our faith, will build a legacy of faith for our children when they see us living it. Um, one of the things that I thought about as well is, um, you know, in the African-American community, trauma has been like a silent shadow in our lives at times. And we um, can sometimes unconsciously pass negative coping skills to our children. You know, I, I think about um, the... I think about the situation with the rioting and the protesting and, I, you know, some of the negative comments that we heard about individuals who were rioting. And of course, we all know that, you know, um, fundamentally rioting is wrong. But what I was really concerned about was the function of the behavior, um, you know. In um, the education world, when we're talking about students' behavior problems, we look at something called an ABC model. A, for, a stands for antecedent, B is for behavior, C is the consequence. And I've had this conversation several times. Um, in the African-American community, there are a lot of antecedents, a lot of events, a lot of things that have happened that precipitate the behavior that you see. So when you are frustrated, when you feel unheard, when that silent shadow of trauma and racism has been looming and you haven't really had the, the coping skills to deal with that, one of the things that might happen is rage and anger. Some of that may even have come out in writing, maybe while we saw that. Um, and so, you know, sometimes our African-American males in a lot of situations historically have had their masculinity stripped in a lot of ways. And so that is important to them to hold on and to, to. And so a lot of times they associate their masculinity with not showing a lot of emotion. Or if the emotion does come out, you see it as rage and maybe anger. And so I just want to especially encourage our, our you know, our African-American males 
to really teach your young boys, teach, teach our children, as well as the ladies, that it is okay to show emotion. Emotion is okay. That tears are okay. Because we don't, what we don't want to do is get in the habit of teaching our kids to stuff that stuff down. We want to teach them how to cope with emotions, how to deal with things. Um, last school year, I remember talking a ton with my students about coping skills. How do we cope with situations, everyday situations, difficulties, problems in life that may be outside of our control? What can we do to control things? And things that we can't control is how we cope with things. So exercise. I talk to kids about how exercise releases feel-good chemicals in our bodies. They release endorphins. They release serotonin. And that stuff makes you feel better. Um, being able to talk to a grown-up about the way that you're feeling. Being able to... I heard um, Jessica talk about journaling. I talked to my kids about journaling. And in some instances, even give them journals um, to write in. Um, art expression, whether that is drawing, whether it is writing music, whether it's writing poetry. Uh, we have um, a youth at our church who is a great poet. And so when um, he was frustrated and having um, just issues with everything that was going on, he was writing poetry. And that's a great outlet. And so the important piece of that, though, is that in, in, in having those coping skills, we want to model those coping skills for our kids and say, you know what, I'm feeling upset today, even verbalizing, this is what I'm going to do to deal with my upset feelings. I'm going for a walk today, and that's going to help me to feel better. Or you know what, I had this big meeting coming up, and I felt really anxious about it. And so I really sat down, and I practiced taking deep breaths until I can feel my heart rate dropping, verbalizing the things that we're doing so that we're really modeling for them um, healthy ways of being able to, to deal with with um, everyday difficulties and of course with trauma. Right, and then just um, like you were saying, the healthy ways to figure out how we deal with things, like just knowing what that is for you. Um, because, you know, everybody's different with me, right. education, you know, so with, um, you know, you hear in church, you know, you arm yourself with the word of God, you know it. So then when it's time for you to defend it, then you have accurate information that you're giving people. You're confident about what you're giving people. Um, and so that that also goes for, you know, what we what we're talking about, the trauma and, you know, the response to the impact of the trauma and how we deal with our kids. Like we, um, you know, we don't have to go off of what other people say. We don't have to just continue the same thing generation after generation, you know, if we arm ourselves with education and with resources, things like that, that help us, that continue to change, you know, constantly, then we're able to better engage with, you know, our family, with our friends, with the community. Uh, and I always think that that gives, that gives me, you know, that strength, you know, that gives me that feeling of resilience because, you know, I'm confident in what I know. You know, so that I think that everybody, you know, you have to look at what really, you know, helps you to, um, you know, move forward and have that emotional strength and resilience. Absolutely. Anything to add, Narkia? No, I think that you guys <laughs> made some really good um, points. I'm glad that you talked about 
just those cognitive behavioral techniques and, and just those thought patterns and processes because that definitely affects the way that we see the world, the way that we view ourselves. So I'm really glad that you touched on that. Absolutely. Well, ladies, this has been awesome. Thank you guys so much for um, all of the wisdom and the knowledge that you shared today. Um, I encourage everyone to tune in for our next episode of Top Talk. Have an awesome day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. for another episode of Top Talk. Be sure to visit our podcast and Facebook page for new episodes and to get caught up on some of the ones you may have missed. Be blessed. Be blessed.